Welcome to Over in Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. And usually, there's also an audiobook of the story that we read, unless it's too boring or racist, which does happen because this is H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, but today, we're going to be reading At the Mountains of Madness. We're going to be reading, actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a double feature. We're reading the last two chapters of the story all in one because they're both pretty short uh but yeah joining me today for this double feature is somebody who went into a cave and saw some big old penguins art hi the these penguins they're big, big. also why am i talking about these penguins we're literally following something that stuffed a dog and one of our friends into a bag it's true, <laughs> something that taxidermied our friend and one of our dogs. But yeah, also they were, um, yeah, part, so recap, uh, after finding the uh, Gedney and the dog that was missing from the camp in one of the sleds, uh, partially taxidermied, uh, they went into the cave uh, and they ran into some, they're penguins, but they're really big and they have no eyes. And they spend most of the chapter talking about that, it feels like. Those guys, those, those big, those big waddly guys. Uh, but they are currently making their way through the tunnels, hopefully to get down to the, uh, the subterranean city where the Elder Ones moved to after the big chill uh, swept through the Antarctic they are describing like there's some honeycombed caves that like break off from the main path. There's uh, it gets warmer the deeper you go, which is accurate. That's how it is. Um, and they got to a like a big a big room that was weirdly clean. Uh, and now they are at the edge of a sunless cliff. Just just yep. This date has really gone awry, basically. Yeah, it's very, it, it's gone so many places. Like, they're at the point of hand-holding where the hands are now sweaty and it's kind of ruined. Yeah. But, but like, you don't want to let go of each other's hands because um, you don't want the other person to think you don't like them. I mean, maybe maybe I don't like them at this point. They seem, <laughs> to, be really, they <laughs> seem to be really focused on the goddamn penguins just saying listen they're big oh also um they spent a lot of time in the last chapter justifying doing all this it was very funny we did make fun of it a lot yes <laughs> like you don't listen buddy you you don't have to justify it to us we are also along for this journey we're okay with this but yeah, so that's where we're at. They've made their way through. Um, hopefully, uh, they're just about at that spooky city where all the wiggly things live. So far, they've only run into penguins. So far. At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. Chapter 11. 
Still, another time have I come to a place where it is very difficult to proceed. I ought to be hardened by this stage, but there are some experiences and intimations which scar too deeply to permit of healing, and leave only such added sensitiveness that memory re-inspires all the original horror. We saw, as I have said, certain obstructions on the polished floor ahead, and I may add that our nostrils were assailed almost simultaneously by a very curious intensification of the strange prevailing fetter, now quite plainly mixed with the nameless stench of those others which had gone before us. The light of the second torch left no doubt of what the obstructions were, and we dared approach them only because we could see, even from a distance, that, that they were quite as past all harming power as had been the six similar specimens unearthed from the monstrous star-mounded graves at Poor Lake's camp. They were indeed as lacking in completeness as most of those we had unearthed, though it grew quite plain from the thick, dark green pool gathering around them that their incompleteness was of infinitely greater recency. There seemed to be only four of them, whereas Lake's bulletins would have suggested no less than eight as forming the group which had preceded us. To find them in this state was wholly unexpected, and we wondered what sort of monstrous struggle had occurred down here in the dark. Plot twist, this story turns into a murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, who murdered Dan Forth? Dan Probably Dreyer. Like, Dan Forth's like, I'm still alive. And he's like, who <laughs> murdered you? <laughs> he's like lifting an ice pick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I asked the question too early. Fuck. <laughs> Wait, forget that I just said that. Let's keep walking down the dark corridor. <laughs> they set up like a crime scene. They do all the little like numbers that you put next to evidence. Like, yes, you can see here there's some high velocity splatter on the walls where the Wiggly Boys done did get got, as they would say in technical terms. <laughs> Penguins, attacked in a body, ret retaliate savagely with their beaks, and our ears now made certain of the existence of a rookery far beyond. Had those others disturbed such a place and aroused murderous pursuit? The obstruction did not suggest it, for penguins' beaks against tough tissues like Lake had dissected could hardly account for the terrible damage our approaching glance was beginning to make out. Besides, the huge blind birds we had seen appeared to be singularly peaceful. Had there, then, been a struggle among those others, and were the absent four responsible? If so, where were they? Were they close at hand and likely to form an immediate menace to us? We glanced anxiously at some of the smooth-floored lateral passages, as we continued our slow and frankly reluctant approach. Whatever the conflict was, it had clearly been that which had frightened the penguins into their unaccustomed wandering. It must, then, have arisen near the faintly heard rookery in the incalculable gulf beyond. Since there were no signs that any birds had normally dwelt there, perhaps we reflected there had been a hideous running fight, with the weaker party seeking to get back to the cash sledges when their pursuers finished them. One could picture the demonic fray between namelessly monstrous entities 
as it surged out of the black abyss with great clouds of frantic penguins squawking and scurrying ahead. The real crime here is that the penguins were disturbed. Yeah, it just seems like I'm just going to be honest here. Uh, get get away from the penguins. Just get away like, from them. If you're going to murder your friends, don't bother the local wildlife while you do it. Exactly. <clears throat> this is still Gosh. just a story about Dreyer lying about how he murdered all of his friends, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. This is okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's yeah. what I thought. Uh, real real convenient that Danforth is the only one who lived and somehow is institutionalized and can't talk about it. Just uh, like it just feels very like I still don't believe him. That's the thing. I still don't believe him. Yeah, sounds but. very convenient also that it seems like whenever Danforth has tried to talk about it, Dreyer has been nearby. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Just some things to think about. But yeah, don't bother the local wildlife if you decide to lure your friends into a remote place and then murder them. Just, like, uh, keep it down. Pack in, pack out, you know? I say that we approach those sprawling and incomplete obstructions slowly and reluctantly. Would to heaven we had never approached them at all, but had run back at top speed out of that blasphemous tunnel with the greasily smooth floors and the degenerate murals aping and mocking the things they had superseded. Run back before we had seen what we did and before our minds were burned with something which will never let us breathe easily again. Both of our torches were turned on the prostrate objects, so that we soon realized the dominant factor of their incompleteness. Mauled, compressed, twisted, and ruptured as they were, their chief common injury was total decapitation. From each one, the tentacled starfish head had been removed. And as we drew near, we saw that the manner of removal looked more like some hellish tearing or suction than like any ordinary form of cleavage. <laughs> okay. Okay. Your mom doesn't have any nor- ordinary form of cleavage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, I mean, also brutal, but again. <laughs> Their noisome dark green ichor formed a large spreading pool but its stench was half overshadowed by that newer and stranger stench, more here more pungent than any other point along our route. Only when we had come very close to the sprawling obstructions could we trace that second unexplainable fetter to any immediate source. And the instant we did so, Danforth, remembering certain very vivid sculptures of the Old One's history, in the Permian Age 140, million years ago gave vent to a nerve-tortured cry which echoed hysterically through the vaulted and archaic passage with the evil palimpsest carvings it came only just short of echoing his cry myself for i had seen those primal sculptures too and had shudderingly admired the way the nameless artist had suggested that hideous slime coating found on certain incomplete and prostrate old ones those whom the frightful Shogoths had characteristically slain and sucked to a ghastly headlessness in the Great War of Resubjugation. They were infamous nightmare sculptures, even then telling of age-old bygone things. 
for Shogoths and their work ought not to be seen by human beings or portrayed by any beings. The mad author of the Necronomicon had nervously tried to swear that none had been bred on this planet and that only drug dreamers had ever conceived them. Formless protoplasm, able to mock and reflect all forms and organs and processes, vicious agglutitions of bubbling cells, rubbery 15-foot spheroids, infinitely plastic and ductile, slaves of suggestion, builders of cities, more and more sudden, more and more intelligent, more and more amphibious, more and more imitative. Great God! What madness made even those blasphemous old ones willing to use and to carve such things? I forgot in our recap that another thing that they had noticed is that along this cave that goes down to the subterranean city, there are carvings that imitate the old ones' carvings, but it doesn't look like the old ones made them because they just don't look right. They look like imitations of what the old ones carved. And I speculated at the end of the last episode that maybe it was the Shogoths imitating them. Yeah, I think it's the Shogoths. Me too. Which, you know what? They got goth in their name, and I believe in them. I think that they should just take over. I think that the, the old ones deserve it. And now, when Danforth and I saw the freshly glistening and reflective iridescent black slime which clung thickly to those headless bodies and stank obscenely with the new unknown order, whose cause only a diseased fancy could envisage, clung to those bodies and sparkled less voluminously on a smooth part of the accursedly re-sculptured wall in a series of group dots, we understood the quality of cosmic fear to its utmost depths. It was not fear of those four missing others, for all too well did we suspect they would not do harm again. Poor devils, after all, they were not evil things of their kind. They were men of another age and another order of being. Nature had played a hellish jest on them, as it will on any others that human madness, callousness, or cruelty may hereafter drag up in that hideously dead or sleeping polar waste, and this was their tragic homecoming. They had not been even savages, for what indeed had they done? That awful awakening in the cold of the unknown epoch, perhaps an attack by the fiery, frantically barking quadrupeds, and a day's defense against them, and the equally frantic white simians with the queer wrappings and paraphernalia. Poor Lake, poor Gedney. And poor old ones, scientists to the last, what had they done that we would not have done in their place? God, what intelligence and persistence, what a facing of the incredible, just as those carven kinsmen and forebears had faced things only a little less incredible. Radiates, vegetables, monstrosities, star spawn, whatever they had been, they were men. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you know they were men? They seem not to have gender. <laughs> I think they're non-binies. I think they have no gender. They they got no beanie? They non-beanies? Yeah, I think they're in Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that TikTok. <laughs> I love that TikTok so much. I need to find that TikTok again. It's been Are so long. Are they in Nebraska? <laughs> 
Yeah, I think they're they're maybe. Uh, I don't think they have a concept of gender, so I don't think they're specifically men. I do like that he's finally taking a moment to like empathize with them because if you think about it, like it would be pretty horrible to be in their circumstance. Um, because they were even frozen before, like well before they started, like even trying to migrate to the subterranean city. Um, I think they said that they were probably a couple thousand years before that ever happened. So like all of a sudden you wake up, the civilization you knew is now dead. All case in point points towards it being like the city that you grew up in being completely destroyed. Everything you knew is gone. Everyone you know is gone. And you now have to journey to try and find maybe a remnant of the society that you knew. Uh, and then surprise, you get murdered <laughs> on the way there. This would be a pretty interesting story, even if you did this from the perspective of the old ones. Yeah, it would be the best. Honestly, and I don't blame them, like, if the dogs attack them, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> You're just some wiggly boys. But yeah, that's pretty interesting that they're finally like, hey, yeah, the old ones had feelings and stuff. We know this. They had crossed the icy peaks on those templed slopes they had once worshipped and roamed among the tree ferns. They had found their dead city brooding under its curse and had read its carven latter days as we had done. They had tried to reach their living fellows in fabled depths of blackness they had never seen. And what had they found? All this flashed in unison through the thoughts of Danforth and me. As we looked from those headless, slime-coated shapes to the loathsome palimpsest sculptures and the diabolical dock groups of fresh slime on the wall beside them, looked and understood what must have triumphed and survived down there in the Cyclopean water city of that nighted, penguin-fringed abyss, whence even now sinister curling mist had begun to belch pallidly as if in answer to Danforth's hysterical scream. The shock of recognizing that monstrous slime and headlessness had frozen us into mute, motionless statues, and it is only through later conversations that we have learned of the complete identity of our thoughts at that moment. It seemed aeons that we stood there, but actually could not have been more than 10 or 15 seconds. That hateful, pallid mist hurled forward as if variably driven by some remote advancing bulk. And then came a sound which upset much of what we had just decided, and in so doing broke the spell and enabled us to run like mad, past squawking confused penguins, over our former trail back to the city, along ice-sunken megalithic corridors to the great open circle, and up the archaic spiral ramp in a frenzied automatic plunge for the sane outer air and light of day. Okay. Okay, I know we're in a in a thing right now, but yeah. about the TikTok. Nebraska <laughs> <laughs> mean many different things, and among different cultured yogurt. Sometimes people don't vibe with just being Sonic or Knuckles. Sometimes they're both. <laughs> Sometimes never winter nights. This is where the term non-bionicle comes in, because there's not just two Grundles, or even three Grundles, but a multitude of Grundles. <laughs> a multitude of grundles. <laughs> non-bionical. <laughs> non-bionical. <laughs> Don't 
don't want to just be Sonic or Knuckles. No, Sometimes I'm... never winter nights. <laughs> not Bibbery. Being not Bibbery. <laughs> Okay. Can you please send that to me <laughs> on yes, Facebook? We'll do. Oh, God. Okay. I have another non binary friend that needs to see this. It's very important that they do. <laughs> it makes sense. Thank you for telling us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the new sound, as I intimated, upset much that we had decided because it was what poor Lake's dissection had led us to attribute to those we had just judged dead. It was, Dan Forth later told me, precisely what he had caught in infinitely muffled form, one at that spot beyond the alley corner above the glacial level. And it certainly had a shocking resemblance to the wind pipings we had both heard around the lofty mountain caves. At the risk of seeming puerile, I will add another thing too. If only because of the surprising way Dan Forth's impression chimed with mine. Of course, common readings is what prepared us both to make the interpretation. Though Danforth has hinted queer notions about unsuspected and forbidden sources to which Poe may have had access when writing his Arthur Gordon Pym a century ago, it will be remembered that in that fantastic tale, there was a word of unknown but terrible and prodigious significance connected with the Antarctic and screamed eternally by the gigantic, spectrally snowbirds of that malign region's core. Poe was lying. Poe do stuff. Poe <laughs> po went to Antarctic. Poe motherfucking new things, okay? Poe could have told us about this, but did it. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> he was like, you know what? Never gonna speak this again. Just gonna lock this away deep inside. I'm just but gonna write a story what? about it and make people think that I just wrote a story. I gotta let it out some way, so I'll do this, but I'll keep it vague. But you know what? Same. <laughs> I also like to take the negative feelings and emotions and memories I have and just push them deep down inside and never never let them out again. Not healthy, by the way. Don't do that. Uh, no, no, no. Hey, hey, Faith? What? I heard from a person who definitely doesn't have a lot of emotional issues <laughs> that you should just keep it down. You, <laughs> you should just keep it down. You just, you just, you just shove it in a little room in your mind palace, and you just close the door and lock it, and then you yeah. never look at it again. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, you should never enjoy anything because you, you already did it, and you're closer to dying, so you'll there never you be that happy again. So, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm just saying, maybe life is bad, and you should bury all your emotions. Uh, this is coming from a very emotionally stable person. Uh, oh my god. Definitely never this, have mental this, health issues. This really explains a lot of my D&D characters. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, thanks, Poe. That was really helpful, you doing that. Well, no, they're not Wiggly Boys. Whatever the show got. The Goths. What the Goths are saying these days. <laughs> Let's see what they yell at each other in caves. Tekel Lee Lee. Tekel Lee Lee. 
That, I may admit, is exactly what we thought we heard, conveyed by that sudden sound behind me, advancing white mist, that insidious musical piping, over a singularly wide range. We were in full flight before three notes or syllables had been uttered, though we knew that the swiftness of the old ones would enable any scream-roused and pursuing survivor of the slaughter to overtake us in a moment, if it really wished to do so. We had a vague hope, however, that non-aggressive conduct and a display of kindred reason might cause such a being to spare us in case of escape, if only from scientific curiosity. After all, if such N1 had nothing to fear for itself, it would have no motive in harming us. Concealment being futile at this junction, we used our torch for a running glance behind and perceived that the mist was thinning. Would we see at last a complete and living specimen of those others? Again came that insidious musical piping. Tekel Lee Lee. Then, noting that we were actually gaining on our pursuer, it occurred to us that the entity might be wounded. We could take no chances, however, since it was very obviously approaching with an answer to Danforth's screen, rather than in flight from another entity. The timing was too close to admit of doubt, of the whereabouts of the less conceivable and less mentionable nightmare, that fetid, unglimpsed mountain of slime-spewing protoplasm whose race had conquered the abyss and sent land pioneers to recarve and squirm through the burrows of the hills. We could form no guess, and it cost us genuine pain to leave this probably crippled old one perhaps a lone survivor, to the peril of recapture and a nameless fate. Thank heaven we did not slacken our run. The curling mist had thickened again, and it was driving ahead with increased speed, whilst the straying penguins in our rear were squawking and screaming and displaying signs of panic, really, surprising in our view of the relatively minor confusion when we had passed them. Once more came the sinister, wide-range piping. Tekel Lee Lee, Tekel Lee Lee. We had been wrong. The thing was not wounded, but had merely paused on encountering the bodies of its fallen kindred. In the hellish slime inscription above them, we could never know what that demon message was, but those burials at Lakes Camp had shown how much importance the beings attached to their dead. Our recklessly used torch now revealed ahead of us the large open cavern where various ways converged. We were glad to be leaving those morbid palimpsest sculptures, almost felt, even when scarcely seen, behind. Another thought which the advent of the cave inspired was the possibility of losing our pursuer at this bewildering focus of large galleries. There were several of the blind albino penguins in the open space, and it seemed clear that their fear of the oncoming entity was extreme to the point of unaccountability. If at that point we dimmed our torch to the very lowest level of travel need, keeping it strictly in front of us, the frightened squawking motions of the huge birds in the mist might muffle our footfalls, screen our true course, and somehow set up a false lead. Amidst the churning, spiraling fog, the littered and unglistening floor of the main tunnel beyond this point was differing from the other morbidly polished burrows, could hardly form a highly distinguishing feature. Even so far, we could conjecture, for those indicated special senses which made the old ones partly, though imperfectly, independent of light and emergencies. 
In fact, we were somewhat apprehensive, lest we go astray ourselves in our haste. For we had, of course, decided to keep straight on toward the dead city. Since the consequences of lost and those unknown foothill honeycombings would be unthinkable. The fact that we survived and emerged is sufficient proof that the thing did take a wrong gallery whilst we providedly hit on the right one. The penguins alone could not have saved us, but in conjunction with the mists, they seemed to have done so. Only a benign fate kept the curling vapors thick enough at the right moment, for they were constantly shifting and threatening to vanish. Indeed, they did lift for a second, just before we emerged from the nauseously re-sculptured tunnel into the cave, so that we actually caught one first and only half-glimpse of the oncoming entity as we cast a final, desperately fearful glance backward before dimming the torch and mixing with the penguins in hope of dodging pursuit. If the fate which screened us was benign, that which gave us the half-glimpse was infinitely the opposite. For that flash of semi-vision can be traced a full half of the horror which has ever since haunted us. Or just show goth. It's so goth. It's a big titty goth girl living in a cave. And we glimpsed her. (laughs) It's it's goth girl Garfield. (laughs) No! (laughs) No! Yeah, that's why it's so horrifying. Big titty goth girl Garfield. Jesus Christ. No. Seeing Garfield in a dark cave is scary enough. Big titty goth girl Garfield. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. No, thank you. <laughs> Jesus. That's why Danforth is so traumatized. We're like, no. Oh my God. I get it. Okay, Danforth. I get it. I understand that. Yeah, you should take that memory and uh, just uh, dig it deep down inside of you and never let it out again. <laughs> <laughs> the horrifying sight of half of a big titty goth girl Garfield will forever haunt you. <sighs> really uh just a tragic fate for Danforth. It's it's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Our exact motive in looking back again was perhaps no more than the immemorial instinct of the pursued to gauge the nature and course of its pursuer. Or perhaps it was an automatic attempt to answer a subconscious question raised by one of our senses. In the midst of our flight, with all our faculties centered on the problem of escape, we were in no condition to observe and analyze details. Yet, even so, our latent brain cells must have wondered at the message brought to them by our nostrils. Afterward, we realized what it was, that our retreat from the fetid slime coating on those headless obstructions and the coincident approach of the pursuing entity cannot brought us the exchange of stenches which logic called for, and the neighborhood of the prostrate things that new and lately unexplainable fetter had been wholly dominant. But by this time, it ought to have largely given place to the nameless stench associated with those others. This had not been done, for instead, the newer and less bearable smell was now virtually undiluted and growing more and more poisonously insistent each second. We glanced back, simultaneously it would appear, though no doubt the incipient motion of one prompted the imitation of the other. As we did so, we flashed both torches full strength at the momentarily thin mist, 
Oh, either from the sheer primitive anxiety to see all we could, or in a less primitive but equally unconscious effort to dazzle the entity before we dimmed our light and dodged among the penguins of the labyrinth center ahead. Unhappy act. Not Orpheus himself or Lot's wife paid much more dearly for a backward glance. And again came that shocking wide-range piping. Tikalili, I might as well be frank, even if I cannot bear to be quite direct in stating what we saw, though at the time we felt that it was not to be admitted, even to each other. I just want to say, uh, what does being frank have to do with not telling people? <laughs> yeah, listen, listen, Dryer, if you want to change your name to Frank, that's fine. A Frank Dryer sounds like a great name. Oh, uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's an name that I've heard in a piece of media. No, I'm thinking of somebody else. Never mind. But yeah, if you want to be Frank, go ahead and be Frank Dreyer. Live your best life, buddy. Yeah, I just changed my name out of nowhere. That's fine. Yeah, no problem. Just And then if you don't want it to be Frank anymore later, that's okay, too. We don't care. <laughs> We're your friend. <laughs> also, the thing that's going to eat you will definitely respect your pronouns and your new name. Um, yeah, it that will not stop it from eating you, though. Yeah, which is frankly just homophobic. Yeah, what if you turn around and said that to a shogoth? You're like, um, you can't eat me. That'd be homophobic. <laughs> like you haven't <laughs> you haven't met enough of our species yet. Like, I, do you really want to be known as the shogoth that only eats gay people? Rude, really. <laughs> <laughs> That would probably want to make it eat even more. It's like, it's like this is what gay people taste like? Hell yeah! It's like fun funny cake! Every human it eats is just like, everyone's gay! <laughs> this, I know what gay people taste like, and <laughs> this person definitely tasted gay. <laughs> <laughs> But like, no, I'm straight, I swear. They're like, mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> My palate differs. <laughs> just, uh, you know, you know that Shogoth will always show up at Pride, too. <laughs> Sun or rain, it's gonna be there. <laughs> and you know what? I think Shogoth's probably also Nebraska. You know, non-beanie. They are neither Knuckles nor Sonic. <laughs> They're never winter nights. <laughs> so they belong at Pride just as much as anybody else. The words reaching the reader can never even suggest the awfulness of the sight itself. It crippled our consciousness so completely that I wonder we had the residual sense to dim our torches as we planned and to strike the right tunnel toward the dead city. Instinct alone must have carried us through. Perhaps better than reason, we certainly had little enough left. And the first thing I remember of the rest of the journey was hearing him lightheadedly chant a hysterical formula, which I alone of mankind could have found anything but insane irrelevance. It reverberated in falsetto echoes among the squawks of the penguins. It reverberated in falsetto echoes among the squawks of the penguins, reverberated through the vaultings ahead, and, thank God, through the now empty vaultings behind. He could not have begun it at once, else we would not have been alive and blindly racing. 
I shudder to think of what a shade of difference in his nervous reaction might have brought South Station under, Washington under, Park Street under, Kendall Central Harvard. The poor fellow was chanting the familiar stations of the Boston-Cambridge Tunnel that burrowed along our peaceful native soil thousands of miles away in New England. Yet to me, the ritual had neither irrelevance nor home-filling. It had only horror, because I knew unerringly the monstrous nefandous analogy that it suggested. We had expected, upon looking back, to see terrible and incredibly moving entity, that the mists were thin enough, but of that entity, we had formed a clear idea. What we did see, for the mists were indeed all too malignly thinned, was something altogether different and immeasurably more hideous and detestable. It was the utter objective embodiment of the fantastic novelist's thing that should not be, and its nearest comprehensible analogue is a vast, onrushing subway train, as one sees from a station platform, the great black front looming colossally out of infinite subterraneous distance, constellated with strangely colored lights, and filling the prodigious burrow as a piston field fills a cylinder. But we were not on a station platform. We were on the track ahead as the nightmare plastic column of fetid black iridescence oozed tightly onward towards its 15-foot sinus, gathering unholy speed, and driving before it a spiral, re-thickening cloud of the pallid abyss vapor. It was a terrible, indescribable thing, vaster than any subway train, a shapeless Congeries of protoplasmic bubbles, faintly self-luminous, and with myriads of temporary eyes, forming and unforming as pustules of brainish light all over the tunnel-filling front that bore down upon us, crushing the frantic penguins and slithering over the glistening floors that it and its kind had swept so evilly free of litter. Still that eldritch mocking cry, Tekelee-lee! To Kel Lee Lee. And at last we remembered what the demonic Shogos, given light through, given life, thought, and plastic organ patterns solely by the old ones, and having no language save that which Doc Groups expressed, and likewise no voice save the imitated accents of their bygone masters. And that's the end of chapter 11. That was a good chapter. <laughs> that was. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> also also i have i have my uh my son snoring very softly oh like right next to me it's very very oh. nice very nice in this horror-filled story <laughs> you got a little guy sitting next to you and he's doing a soft little snooze yeah he's doing a little snooze uh, meester will do that sometimes i can hear him from on top of the cat tree i'll hear him just, just snoring away. Well, he does it's... it really softly, but oh. like I feel it because, like, while I'm petting it, like it just, just it just rumbles a little bit more. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. Alex, our oldest cat, also snores. Oh, that's so cute. That means that he's very sweepy sweet. Well, that was <laughs> a lot. <laughs> okay, I get it now. I get why you're. That that is understandable. That's a thing to be afraid of. I'm yeah. also afraid of trains. 
Yeah, I'm also afraid of being hit by fast-moving trains. No, no, I'm just afraid of trains. That's why I oppose high-speed rail system. And I want (laughs) us to be in a car-based society for... It's it's not that you hate the environments that you're afraid of trains. (laughs) And you think, like, hey, what if you get buses? Guess what? A bus could be about the size of a train car sometime. That's scary. That is scary. There is a Steam game that is in development, and it's about a, a train with spider legs that chases oh you. Oh my god, I don't want to be anywhere close to that game. This is terrifying, actually. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. I'm good. Like, I've, I've lived a pretty good life, and you know what? It can, cons- it can continue to be pretty good. Yeah. There is no need for spider trains in my in my brain. I'm good. Yeah, speaking of spider trains, uh, sure hope uh, Dreyer is... Uh, oh, he's okay. He's the one he's, telling people about this. I was gonna say, we know that him and Danforth both live. Do we ever get a story where it's not ri- where it's not a narration by someone who survived a thing? Oh, um... I mean, the guy technically at the end of um, Dagon didn't live for very long. Yeah, well, that's because it was a really good suicide note. I mean, yeah, I mean, technically, te- you know, he survived long enough to write the story. That's what matters. Um, I guess technically, um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward was told from a third person. Well, but. No, that wasn't. It was told no, by it a dude. Wasn't. It was never mind. Uh, what was it? No, um, it wasn't Armistice. Uh, who was it? Oh crap! I forgot oh, the guy's f- name. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his the name. Doctor's no. name. I. You know what? No, they've all been. Oh, the Hound. They. I. They both technically died. Yeah, but that was wasn't that that was a suicide note one as well though. Yeah, it was. Hmm. I don't think there's been any from a third person perspective. Yeah, I, I just, you know... It's I always guess it, been a narrator telling it whether they uh, lit, survive or it's a long suicide note. Yeah, because even the temple was told from the uh, the perspective of, um, well, not a survivor, they ended up dying. But they thought they were going to live. Uh, the tree, I think the tree's from a third-person perspective. No, tree, no tree. The tree is an exception. Oh, yep. Um, Maybe we'll get another one. Yeah, I think oh, the wait, tree- wait, 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 wait. The uh uh the the house in the high mist. Oh yeah, that was a third person perspective. Yeah. Uh sweet Ermengard. <laughs> yeah, sweet Ermengard. Um Oh the uh The Silver Key? Uh I don't know. That I feel like that one straddles a lot. Yeah, you're right. And that was less him surviving something and just just Carter Randolph Carter just having a bad, bad oh, few weeks. Oh, the cats of Ulthar. Oh, yeah, that was a third person. Uh, was Nyarlathotep a third person? No, no, that was first person. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, really just those that small handful. Otherwise, they're all told from the perspective of a narrator who either survives or is writing an extensive suicide note. Why? Why am I? It bothers me that I'm forgetting the the doctor from um, the case of Charles X Award. Yeah, one sec. bothering me. Oh, um, God, he had a dumb, nerdy name. God, yeah, what was his name? One sec. Willet. 
Willette, yeah. Marinus B. Willette. He had a, uh, that's right, he also had a dumb nerdy name. Yeah. I kept thinking Wilmarth, which is also a dumb nerdy name. <laughs> but that was the guy from um, Whisper in the Darkness. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Color Out of Space is also a third person perspective, right? No, but you're being, but you're being, uh, or, sorry, told no, no, not a third Ami. person. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. Just those couple. Otherwise, they're all told from another person's perspective. Huh. Yeah. No, well. <sighs> all right. This is the last chapter. It's only four pages long, so we decided to include it with this. Um, just put them together, basically. Yeah, it's it's so short. We might as well. It's, it's more like an epilogue than anything, I think. <sighs> At the Mounts of Madness, Chapter 12. Danforth and I have recollections of emerging into the great sculptured hemisphere of and of threading our back trail through the cyclopean rooms and corridors of the dead city. Yet these were purely dream fragments, involving no memory of volition, details, or physical exertion. It was as if we floated in a nebulous world or dimension without time, causation, or orientation. The gray half-daylight of the vast circular space sobered us somewhat, but we did not go near those cached sledges or look again at poor Gedney and the dog. They have a strange and titanic mausoleum, and I hope the end of this planet will find them still undisturbed. It was while struggling up the colossal spiral incline that we first felt the terrible fatigue and short breath which are race through the thin plateau air had proceeded, but not even the fear of collapse could make us pause before reaching the normal outer realm of sun and sky. There was something vaguely appropriate about our departure from those buried epochs, for as we wound our panting way up the sixty-foot cylinder of primal masonry, we glimpsed besides us a continuous procession of heroic sculptures and the dead race's early and undecayed technique, a farewell from the old ones, written 50 million years ago. I was about to complain about them, like, just being a couple of nerds in, like, they're probably not very athletic, but actually they probably are, because it sounds like they've done, like, explorations before. Yeah, like, I, I feel like uh, geologists and, like, marine biologists and, um, there's, there's a few, like, uh, pale- paleontologists like yeah there's a few people that like you can really only do stuff in the field and yeah, you have exactly. to be able to be in the field all day yeah so and yeah. your field is sometimes remote or you have to like yeah basically work your way there so actually it makes sense that they do have like a lot of stamina and are actually pretty athletic they also yeah. like had to climb a mountain to get here <laughs> Finally, scrambling at the top, we found ourselves on a great mound of tumbled blocks with the curved walls of higher stonework rising westward and the brooding peaks of the great mountains shooing beyond the more crumbled sculptures toward the east. The low Antarctic sun of midnight peered redly from the southern horizon through rifts in the jagged ruins. And the terrible age and deadness of the Nightmare City seemed all the starker by contrast, with such relatively known and accustomed things as the features of the polar landscape. 
The sky above was a churning and opalescent mass of tenuous ice vapors, and the cold clutched at our vitals. Wearily resting the outfit bags to which we had instinctively clung throughout our desperate flight, we rebuttoned our heavy garments for the stumbling climb down the mound and the walk through the aeon old stone maze to the foothills where our airplane waited. Of what had set us fleeing from the darkness of the earth's secret and archaic gulfs, we said nothing at all. In less than a quarter of an hour, we had found the steep grade to the foothills and the probable ancient terrace by which we had descended, and could see the dark bulk of our great plain amidst the sparse ruins on the rising slope ahead. Halfway uphill toward our goal, we paused for a momentary breathing spell and turned to look again at the fantastic Paleogean tangle of incredible stone shapes below us once more outlined mystically against an unknown west. And as we did so, we saw that the sky beyond had lost its morning haziness, the restless ice vapors having moved up to the zenith, where their mocking outlines seemed on the point of settling into bizarre patterns, which they feared to make quite definite or conclusive. There now lay revealed on the ultimate white horizon behind the grotesque city, a dim elfin line of pinnacled violet whose needle-pointed heights loomed dreamlike against the beckoning rose color of the western sky. Up toward the shimmering rim sloped the ancient tableland, the depressed course of the bygone river traversing it as an irregular ribbon of shadow. For a second, we gasped in admiration of the scene's unearthly cosmic beauty and then vague horror began to creep into our souls. For this far violet line could be nothing else than the terrible mountains of the Forbidden Land, highest of Earth's peaks and focus of Earth's evil, harborers of nameless horrors and arcane secrets, shunned and prayed to by those who feared to carve their meaning, untrodden by any living thing of earth, but visited by the sinister lightnings and sending strange beams across the plains in the polar night. Beyond doubt, the unknown archetype of that dreaded Kadath in the cold waste, beyond abhorrent lang, whereof unholy primal legends hint evasively. We were the first human beings ever to see them, and I hope to God we may be the last. I'm pretty sure Poe saw it, so... <laughs> yeah, so whatever. I mean, technically they would be the last, because Poe is dead by now. Yeah, but Poe definitely was definitely saw it. That's why he didn't tell it. Tell you. I'd be like, wow, this shit's freaky. I'm just going to write a story about it. You know what? I'm going to write a vague story about it and then never speak of it again. Okay, cool, cool, nice. <laughs> If the sculptured maps and pictures in that pre-human city had told truly, these cryptic violet mountains could not be much less than 300 miles away. Yet nonetheless sharply did their dim elfin presence jet above that remote and snowy rim, like the serrated edge of a monstrous alien planet about to rise into unaccustomed heavens. Their height, then, must have been tremendous beyond all known comparison carrying them up to tenuous atmospheric strata, peopled by such gases, race, and rash flyers, have barely lived to whisper of after-unexplainable falls. 
Looking at them, I thought nervously of certain sculptured hints of what the great bygone river had washed down into the city from their accursed slopes, and wondered how much sense and how much folly had lain in the fears of those old ones who carved them so reticently. I recalled how their northerly end must come near the coast of it. Queen Maryland, where even at that moment Sir Douglas Mawson's expedition was doubtless working less than a thousand miles away, and hoped that no evil fate would give Sir Douglas and his men a glimpse of, of what might lie beyond the protecting coastal range. Such thoughts formed and measured in my overwrought condition at the time, and Danforth seemed to be even worse. That's because Dan. Danforth is, is weak. He's, he's, he's a little bitch. He's, weak. He's, he's, a, he's a little bitch baby. He's a little bitch baby. Little piss baby? What are you, scared of some giant subterranean monster undulating into different shapes and sizes with different organs and eyes? Like, whatever. <laughs> hey, drier, drier to Dan, uh, Danforth. Hey, little piss baby. <laughs> 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 he's like, I don't know why you're so upset. <laughs> <laughs> Yet long before we had passed the great star-shaped ruin and reached our plane, our fears had become transferred to the lesser but vast enough range, whose recrossing lay ahead of us. From these foothills, the black ruin-crusted slopes reared up starkly and hideously against the east, again reminding us of those strange Asian paintings of Nicholas Rorick. And when we thought of the damnable honeycombs inside them, and of the frightful amorphous entities that might have pushed their fetidly squirming way even to the topmost hollow pinnacles, we could not face without panic the prospect of again sailing by those suggestive skyward cave mouths. My brain turned off, Art. I think that means you died? Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought this would happen at Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. This isn't how I want to go. Okay, I found where I was. Never mind. We're good. We're fine. I'm not dying. I mean, I am, but I'm not at the end yet. I'm going to beat you to the end. I'm going to beat <laughs> you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean you won't have as many points as me, though? I like my my only thing is that I don't want to be last place. I so, see. you know. Yeah. Okay. That's that's my only thing. Okay. Um and when we thought of the damnable honeycombs inside them and of the frightful amorphous entities that might have pushed their fetidly squirming way even to the topmost hollow pinnacles, we could not face without panic the prospect of again sailing by those suggestive skyward cave mouths where the wind made sounds like an evil musical piping and a, over a wide range. To make matters worse, we saw distinct traces of local mist around several of the summits, as poor Lake must have done when he made that early mistake about volcanism and thought shiveringly of what kindred mist from which we had just escaped. Of that and of the blasphemous horror fostering abyss since whence all such vapors came. All was well with the plane, and we clumsily hauled on our heavy flight furs. And we hauled on our heavy flying furs. Danforth got the engine started without trouble, and we made a very smooth takeoff over the nightmare city. Below us, the primal cyclopean masonry spread out, as it had done when we first saw it. So short 
yet infinitely long, a time ago, and we began rising and turning to test the winds for our crossing through the pass. At a very high level, there must have been great disturbance, since the ice dust clouds of the zenith were doing all sorts of fantastic things. But at 24,000 feet, the height we needed for the pass, we found navigation quite practicable. As we drew close to the jutting peaks, the wind's strange piping again became manifest, and I could see Danforth's hands trembling at the controls. Rank amateur though I was, I thought at that moment that I might be a better navigator than he in effecting the dangerous crossing between pinnacles. And when I made motions to change seats and take over his duties, he did not protest. I tried to keep all my skill and self-possession about me and stared at the sector of reddish further sky betwixt the walls of the pass, resolutely refusing to pay attention to the puffs of mountaintop vapor and wishing that I had wax-stopped ears like Ulysses' men off the siren's coast to keep that disturbing windpiping from my consciousness. But Danforth, released from his piloting and keyed up to a dangerous nervous pitch, could not keep quiet. I felt him turning and wriggling about as he looked back at the terrible receding city. Ahead, at the cave-riddled, cube-barnacled peaks, sideways at the bleak sea of snowy, rampart-strewn foothills, and upward at the seething, grotesquely clouded sky. It was then, just as I was trying to steer safely through the pass, that his mad shrieking brought us so close to disaster by shattering my tight hold on myself and causing me to fumble helplessly with the controls for a moment. A second afterward, my resolution triumphed and we made the crossing safely. Yet I am afraid that Danforth will never be the same again. I have said that Danforth refused to tell me what final horror made him scream out so insanely. A horror, which, I feel sadly sure, is mainly responsible for his present breakdown. We had snatches of shouted conversation above the winds piping and the engines buzzing as we reached the safe side of the range and swooped slowly down toward the camp. But that had mostly to do with the pledges of secrecy we had made as we prepared to leave the Nightmare City. Certain things, we had agreed, were not for people to know and discuss lightly. And I would not speak of them now, but for the need of heading off that Starkweather Moor expedition, and others at any cost. It is absolutely necessary for the peace and safety of mankind that some of Earth's dark dead corners and unplumbed depths be let alone. Less sleeping abnormalities wake to resurgent life and blasphemously surviving nightmares squirm and splash out of their black layers to newer and wider conquests. All that Danforth has ever hinted at is that the final horror was a mirage. It was not, he declares, anything connected with the cubes and caves of those echoing, vaporous, wormly honeycomb mountains of madness which we crossed but a single fantastic demonic glimpse among the churning zenith clouds of what lay back of those other violent westward mountains, which the old ones had shunned and feared. It is very probable that the thing was a sheer delusion born of the previous stresses we had passed through and of the actual though unrecognized mirage of the dead transmontane city experienced near Lake's camp the day before. 
It was so real to Danforth that he suffers from it still. He has, on rare occasion, whispered disjointed and irresponsible things about the Black Pit, the Carven Rim, the Proto-Shogoths, the windowless solid with five dimensions, the nameless cylinder, the Elder Pharos, the Oxithoth, the Primal White Jelly, the color out of space, the wings, the eyes in darkness, the moon ladder, the original, the eternal, the undying, and other bizarre conceptions. But when he is fully himself, he repudiates all this and attributes it to his curious and macabre reading of earlier years. Danforth, indeed, is known to be among the very few who have ever dared go completely through that worm-riddled copy of the Necronomicon, kept under lock and key in the college library. The higher sky, as we crossed the range, was surely vaporous and disturbed enough. And although I did not see the zenith, I can well imagine that its swirls of ice dust may have taken strange forms. Imagination, knowing how vividly distant scenes can sometimes be reflected, refracted, and magnified by such layers of restless cloud, might easily have supplied the rest. And of course, Danforth did not hint any of those specific horrors till after his memory had had a chance to draw on his bygone reading. He could never have seen so much as one instantaneous glance. At the time, his shrieks were confined to a repetition of a single mad word of all too obvious source. Tekeli Lee. Tekeli Lee. And that's the end of At the Mountains of Madness. It was real good. It was real good really game. good. It was really good. Yeah. I um. I mean, I I don't know. Do you want to just get into HP Listcraft? Yeah, let's do it. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long. T- I know. I have to dig it out of our drive. A listomania. The glass it grow. I found it. I did it. I found it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Do you want me to copy paste this so that you have a link to uh, it? I have it saved somewhere. Okay. Yeah, I have it. Okay, so this. You're an anonymous think... jackalope, by the way. Ooh. Ooh. I feel like this one should be uh be up there. Yeah, definitely. But let's 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 say what it's definitely not better first. Okay. I wouldn't say that it's better than Dagon, mm. our beloved Dagon. Well, I still feel like I like the festival more. Oh, sorry, Dagon. It's not better than Dagon. Yeah, at the very top. I, I like I like the festival more. I will say that. I, I feel like the festival, like it explores similar themes. Yes, but it does it more concisely. I feel like we could have lost a couple of chapters, honestly. Yeah. And combine them. Yeah. Um, especially the history yeah. part. Um, uh, would you say it's better than Pikmin's model? No. Okay, I agree. Honestly, about- I would. I kind of want to put it below Hypnos. Hypnos? Yeah, I'd say it's better than The Quest of Ironon. I'm going to say it's better than Dunwich Horror, though. Mm. See, I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm real. I'm real uh... Hypnos was pretty good, though. Uh, do you want to put it between Dunwich Horror and Hypnos? Yeah, Yeah. let's do that. And also, I do want to remind the 
very few people who listen to this, this this list is definitely for us. Yeah. Um, like, if you what- like, if At the Mountain's Madness is your favorite story, you're valid. We see you. Understandable. It's yeah. a really good one. Like, honestly, if it's anywhere above 20 or so. Yeah. Like, we we recommend reading it. We love it. We're into it. Um, okay, so the top 20 now, because it's been a long time since we've gone over this list. So the top 20 is Dagon at number one, Color Out of Space, Neolithotep, Call of Cthulhu, Memory, The White Ship, The Statement of Randolph Carter, Ex Oblivion, uh, The Silver Key, The Tree, The Cats of Ulthar, From Beyond, The Festival, Hickman's Model, at number 15, it's The Whisper in the Darkness, The Picture in the House, at, uh, yeah, The Picture in the House, The Dunwich Horror, At the Mountain Madness, which we just placed there, Hypnos, and then at number 20 is The Quest of Iron On. Okay. Our bottom story is still under the pyramids. <laughs> yeah. Like if the it's last, bad when we can't get through it. The last five stories are pretty bad. The, yeah. tradi- the transition of Juan Romero, the horror at Red Hook, Old Bugs, The Street, and Hunted the Pyramids. Yeah, fucking awful. <laughs> even, the, yep. even the bottom, like, ten are pretty bad. <laughs> now the Beast of Cave is a little charming. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, it's, it's now at number 18 in our top 20 definitely recommend all those stories if you loved it i mean it's really good i like i like at the end that he didn't reveal everything about what danforth saw yes that is definitely part of it like Um, i i I don't hate when he does that but i like that he did something different for this definitely definitely it's kind of the fun parts of horror is like keeping some of the mystery intact and this definitely did it yeah and um, I don't, yeah by the way i don't consider holes like like mysteries like that in a plot to be a plot hole or anything i like them it's kind of good just to not know everything yeah yeah uh, for the most part like I, I i very much agree yeah it it's a good setting it's a good story god damn i was not expecting the description of the show goth just like fucking pulverizing penguins as it ran them over. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> I wasn't expecting yeah. it. Like, that's probably like one of the most terrifying like creature descriptions we've had so far. Yeah. Very, it was a little terrifying. <laughs> it was good. It was really good, though. I really like this. Um, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I agree with you. I feel like a couple of the history chapters about the great old ones could have been like it could have just been one chapter it didn't have to be two yeah yeah then like i I feel i do feel like some of it could have been uh narrowed down a little bit that's that's my main main uh main complaint i felt like it did lag a little bit in the middle yeah and the five page description of the elder things they could i get being thorough but it could have been shorter and i would have yeah. been fine with it but that's just me maybe hp was gonna commission an artist i don't know maybe he just had to get that out there yeah he was just like i'm gonna commission an artist and they're gonna like really get it they're gonna understand my wiggly boys 
They're going to get my wiggly voice. They're going to understand me. They're going to see into my soul the wiggly voice. <sighs> Anything else? No. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a good story. I'm excited. We're going to watch a movie next time. Maybe, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and all right. This has been Over in Smith. And remember, you are an irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your Keating static howl is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable. And the mansions of silence would forever fill with our lament. Okay, bye. Bye. And your back is pretty tired. And we've drunk a couple bottles, babe. And set our grief aside. The papers say it's doomsday. The button has been pressed. We're gonna nuke each other up, boys. To old Satan's sins and prayers. And here it is, our final night alive. As the earth.